Being stuck. We all know what it feels like. It does not feel good. It tries our patience, tests our endurance, and creates frustration. No one likes to be stuck. But we don't just find ourselves stuck in traffic or elevators or in line. We find ourselves stuck in habits and ways of relating to others that aren't helpful. We find ourselves stuck in unhealthy patterns in our closest relationships, in marriage, with our kids, with ourselves. So many of us are stuck, and we would love to be unstuck. Anybody here ever get stuck? Put your tongue on the outdoor play equipment in winter, you know who you are. Seriously, anybody here get stuck in a rut in your life or develop unhealthy patterns that are utterly unhelpful to you? Probably by now most of us have broken our New Year's resolutions, so you know what I'm talking about. And what I wonder sometimes is why don't we just stop doing? Why don't we just quit the unhelpful things in our life? Why don't we just quit our bad habits? Do you ever wonder that? Like, why do we have such a hard time with that? The Apostle Paul, who wrote so many of the letters that make up what we call our New Testament, in his letter to the church at Rome, chapter 7, asks this exact same question about himself. He says, why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I know what's right and can't find a way to do it? Why do I know something's wrong, but I still keep doing it? Who will rescue me from this human condition, Paul asks. Jesus will, he writes. Then he goes on in the rest of this letter to describe all the ways that Jesus can rescue us from our broken human nature. And then toward the end of his letter, he moves to this clarion call about how followers of Jesus are now to live in light of God's great rescuing mercy. And this is how he starts that section, and this will be our theme for this series that we're kicking off this morning called Unstuck. This is what Paul writes, and it will be up on the screen. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is what he's been talking about, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, let me just pause here for a second and say the, the phrase living sacrifice is a weird phrase to our ears, right? We don't talk much about sacrifice these days, but what I believe Paul is describing here is a move from a what can I get mindset to a what can I give mindset. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says. And then he goes on and says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, don't live like everyone else around you. Instead, let God morph you or transform you into a new kind of person. 
He's talking about moving away from old behaviors, unhealthy patterns, habits that keep us stuck, and being changed by God into something new, something different, something better. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's what we're going to talk about in this series, being transformed, getting unstuck in all different kinds of relationships. This first three-week set is going to be focused on marriage, but listen, if you're not married, you can apply all of this stuff to any other close relationship you're in. And then the second three weeks will be related to parenting or being an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. So let's dig in this morning to the topic I want to talk about. But first I want to tell you a story. Not long ago, uh, I thought Chuck, my husband of almost 34 years, said to me, you never pick up and things are always out of control. And so I, in a very mature and wise move, stopped talking to him, and decided that I would only devote my life to picking up. So every minute of every day, all I did was pick up or clean up or put things away. Our house was clean. And Chuck, being a typical guy, I'm sorry, was all the while wondering to himself, I know this now because we talked about it, he just was wondering to himself, wow, what's gotten into her? She is really on a cleaning kick. It took him 48 hours to ask me, is there something wrong? <laughs> Seriously. It turns out... What I thought he said to me, you never pick up, it's always out of control here, was not even close to what he really said to me. It was all just a complete misunderstanding on my part. But I thought to myself, if that is what he said to me, I am going to crush him with my cleanliness. Tit for tat around here. You say that to me, and I am going to do this thing to you. I'm not proud of this, friends. <laughs> but I wonder, do you ever get into pickles like this in your marriage or maybe with another family member or your best friend? Paul <clears throat> as he continues in Romans chapter 12, which I invite you to read, has something to say to all of us about this kind of behavior. In Romans 12, starting with verse 9, Paul says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. True in all relationships. Paul's not talking about marriage here, but we're going to apply it to marriage this morning. Love must be sincere. Tell us what that means, Paul. What does that mean, love must be sincere? First thing he says is hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. Now listen. <laughs> 
let me tell you what's evil in marriages and close relationships. Exactly what I was doing with Chuck. Keeping score. Keeping score. Now let me tell you, there's a bit of scorekeeping in every relationship. You know how this works. You did baths last night. I'll do baths tonight. You cook. I'll clean up. We go to your parents this year. Next year we'll go to my parents. You know how this is. This is normal. That's not what I'm talking about. What is evil is toxic scorekeeping. This is a mindset that watches the other person and asks, what are they doing for me? I will do only the exact same amount for them. I will count up, keep track of their behaviors, good and bad, and I will then hold their behavior against them for good or for evil. This is the mindset that tallies up all I do for you and then demands that you pay me back in kind. Hate what is evil. Now let me tell you five reasons that toxic scorekeeping is evil, okay? And I want you to pay attention to what I did here in this slide because I feel very proud of it, okay? So pay good attention. First reason it's evil is it's inherently selfish. Scorekeeping makes us feel entitled. You know this feeling? He owes me. It flows out of the expectation that the other person must conduct their lives in a way that will please me. This is so dumb, friends. Who am I to think that if I take the trash out one more time than my spouse, my life is over? If he or she doesn't do the dishes as much as I do, I have the right to throw a complete hissy fit. Scorekeeping selfish. Second thing that makes toxic scorekeeping evil is that it creates conflict. Let me ask you this. Do you like people who keep score with you? Does it make your relationship toward them friendly and warm? Do you want to be friends with someone who keeps track of every card you've ever sent them or who says, you know what, I called you last, now you owe me a phone call. Or I was nice to you yesterday, now you have to be nice to me today. Do you want to be around a scorekeeper? No, the answer's no. Do you know why? Because scorekeeping puts us on war footing. It makes us believe that we have to fend for ourselves and defend ourselves against an enemy. The scorekeeping only creates conflict. Next reason that scorekeeping is evil. It it leads to overgeneralization. You know what I mean? Things like this. You are always late. You never pick up. I am the only one who gets up with the kids. You constantly nag me. This is kind of fun. I I could kind of keep going with this. It's completely unhelpful. These kinds of phrases, completely unhelpful in marriage and in relationships. Next reason that scorekeeping is inherently evil is that it leads to resentment. Do you guys see what I'm doing up here? (laughs) Super impressive, I know. 
Scorekeeping only leads to resentment. No one likes to be scored in marriage. Basketball court, yes. Super Bowl, we love a score. ACT test, okay, score me. But in my relationships, no. It only leads to resentment. And the last reason that scorekeeping, toxic scorekeeping, is inherently evil is that everyone has a different scorecard. What I am keeping score of might not be what my husband keeps score of. And how he keeps score, the units, the measurements, his might be completely different from mine. Here's some examples. Chuck, I totally cleaned the kitchen. Alice, um, not really. You didn't wipe the crumbs off the counter or do the pots that are in the sink. Chuck, well, those don't count to me. Alice, how can you say that? You either totally cleaned the kitchen or you didn't clean the kitchen. Halfway is not, I cleaned the kitchen. Well, that's a productive conversation, Shires. Why don't you just continue that for a while? Okay, here's another one. Alice, I did all the recycling. Chuck, did you break down the cardboard boxes? Alice, what? Chuck, you heard me. Alice, no, I never break down the cardboard boxes. Chuck, then you didn't do the recycling. Do I need to continue? You get this, right? There's no cosmic scorecard up in heaven with this table of weights and measurements in the sky that keeps us all on the same page. Right, so we're constantly guessing. Does getting up early with a teenager to go to swim practice count more than balancing the bank account? I say yes, but you might not. Does helping your aging mom when she's sick give me the right to demand that you pick up the Chinese takeout for tonight? I say yes, but you might not. What about who makes more money? All right. If I make more money, does that mean that you owe it to me to vacuum? If I go to Bible study and you have to watch the kids, does that mean that you now get to go to the Super Bowl and use all of our savings for your ticket? <laughs> right? We all come at our own scorekeeping so differently. And so what a big pile of crud it is for all of us to be holding up our own little scorecards and waving them angrily at each other. Isn't that just life in our world right now? Life in sports, life in politics, just waving our angry little scorecards at each other. Sometimes this even happens at the church. Of course it happens. This is life in this world. But Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world is scorekeeping. So let's look at this verse again. Oh, don't I have the verse again? Can we have Romans 12, 9 again? Thank you, Lori. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Okay, Paul, tell us what that looks like. What are you talking about when you say cling to what is good? Be devoted 
Now you can do that next slide, Lori. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another. Notice that Paul does not say, be devoted to yourself. Marriage, this is going to be news to some of us. Marriage is not a competition. It is a team sport. And I'm telling you, this took Chuck and me quite a bit of time to figure this out. We were two competitive people who got married. And we took a long time to try to figure out what it looked like to become what the Bible calls one flesh. This is hard stuff. But we had to learn to choose we over me. And we're still working on this almost 34 years into our marriage. Choose we over me. And that means if we are going to keep score at all, we need to keep score about how well our marriage is doing or how healthy our friendship is. Right? Not who takes out the trash, but are we communicating? Not who gets up with the kids more, who sacrifices more, but are we having fun together? Not who makes more money and therefore who owes who what, but are we encouraging each other's growth? Do we create time for each other? What score, what grade would you give your marriage or would you give your closest relationship? See, when that is the focus rather than trying to decide what your partner owes you, you are choosing we over me. You are being devoted to one another in love. Which leads right into Paul's next statement about what clinging to good looks like and can look like in a marriage. And he writes, honor one another. So I look up the word honor because that's a word we use sometimes. It's a word we use like in our marriage vows and stuff, right? What does it mean? To honor someone means to give preference to them. And it also has uh, this little other idea in it, in the word, in the original language, that implies we are to take the lead in doing so. Meaning, don't wait for the other person to show you honor. You go first. Oh, now Paul's getting real, okay? This is the antithesis of scorekeeping. What Paul's talking about here is this idea, I am called to take the lead in giving preference to you. Another way of saying it is I will go first in putting you first. I will go first in putting you first. Now, for some of us this morning, this is the one action step we need to go home with. I will go first in putting you first. This one thing could save your marriage. And then the kicker. 
Paul doesn't just say honor one another, but he says honor one another above yourselves. Talk about not conforming to the pattern of this world. Remember back at the beginning where I, we looked at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul calls the Christ followers, both men and women. He says to them, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Meaning, because of all Christ has done for you, I want you to move from a what-can-I-get mindset to a what-can-I-give mindset. And here it is again, honor one another above yourselves this is where the rubber meets the road the call to sacrifice and paul makes it to both men and women to both husbands and wives no one gender is called to sacrifice more than the other both are called to it everyone is called to it and here is a deep secret about marriage. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. And I know that doesn't add up, so do not come up here and talk math to me, okay? Do not do it. Chuck is the math person in our marriage. I am the word person, okay? That's how we keep score. But marriage is a hundred, a hundred. Because in marriage, as in any close relationship, we are called by Jesus to place the interests of our spouse or our best friend above our own. And our spouse, our best friend, our partner, is called to do the same. This is the math. This is the equation of healthy, loving relationships. One hundred, one hundred. Honor one another above yourselves when our kids were little and i was a brand new teacher here at orchard on sunday mornings after a long hard week of work chuck would get up early with me on sunday morning when i was going to teach when he could have slept in i mean he deserved it instead he reads my teaching he cheers me on he sends me off and then he would get our three rascally kiddos to church all by himself. They looked a little raggedy, but they were dressed. And he would sit in the front row, and he would look at me admiringly while I taught. And when I came home after church, tired, happy, and spent, he would help the kids make me an omelet. And they would bring it to me in bed. And then Chuck would play with them all afternoon so I could just lay in bed and read the paper and sleep. This is a true story. Doesn't happen anymore, but it used to. <laughs> this was so honoring to me. Honoring another person above yourself is transformational. It will transform your relationship. Honoring another person above yourself is an antidote to the patterns of this world. Something positive happens when one human being makes the choice to go first in putting the other person first and to put them first above themselves. Hate what is evil, Paul says. 
Scorekeeping, toxic scorekeeping is dumb and inherently evil. And it has the power, if we let it, to just kill our marriages and friendships. They can't survive underneath the weight. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. These things, these ways of behaving have the power, if we let them, if we start to engage in them, to strengthen and enrich and save our marriages and our closest relationships. So let me close with this. What if God held our mistakes above our heads? What if God kept a little spreadsheet of all the ways you or I fail? What if God tallied up everything he has done for me and then compared that to what I have done for him? What if God was a scorekeeper? How would I do then? How would you do then? The psalmist writes in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? In the New Testament, Paul writes that God does not count our sins against, that, against us. Paul writes that God, through Christ, has canceled our debt. Friends, God loves us without a scorecard. And so we can love without one, too. Christ paid it all so that we owe nothing now. The one who owns the cosmic scorecard put a win in our column written in his own blood. The one we owed everything to. Instead of demanding that we pay up, that fair is fair, that there is no free lunch, that somebody has to pay, that one said, I will pay everything on your behalf. And then he tore up the scorecard. It is finished. The price was paid. The battle was won. The winning shot was taken. And the scorecard was ripped up. God loves us without a scorecard. God loves me without a scorecard. And God loves you out a scorecard. So why on earth do we, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, keep score in our most intimate relationships? Why on earth do we not offer to our spouses, our best friends, the same kind of grace God offers us? What are we even thinking? God ripped up your scorecard. 
rip yours up too. Let's pray. God, there's something in our nature that makes us want to keep score so that we can win, so that we can triumph, so that we can prove our worth, so that we can be the best. And when that's channeled in healthy ways, God, it's okay. But when it is unleashed against the people we love the most or against the people that we've promised to love the most, it becomes evil. And you call us to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. So would you help us, God, to remember each day that you have ripped up our scorecard. You do not keep track of our wrongs. And would you help us to love our spouse, our partner, our friends without a scorecard as well. Amen.